following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. Most, if not all of us, have been where, Mar- where Martha was. If only Jesus would have been there, if only he would have shown up sooner, then things would have gone totally differently. Maybe it was when you or a loved one were sick and in the hospital, and if only Jesus would have shown up, if only he would have done what you prayed so fervently for, this never would have happened. Maybe it was a loved one who passed away, and you prayed and prayed and prayed, Lord, just spare their life, and if only he would have showed up. But you know what? It's a really hard truth, a truth nonetheless, but a really hard truth that God's timetable is not ours, even if we ask it, even if we pray through tears and bruised knees, Lord, please fill in the blank. We've been there with Martha. If only you would have been here. And it seems that sometimes he just doesn't show up when we want, and he doesn't show up how we want. But Jesus had everything to give to Martha in that moment, and you just got to hear it. You see, he wasn't just giving that to Martha, everything that he said and everything that he is. He's also giving that to you and to me as well. The last time you see Martha before this account, do you remember what happened? Mary and Martha welcomed Jesus into the home. Martha, Martha, she's busy. She's not doing anything wrong, but she didn't choose the better thing as Mary is soaking in these words of eternal life from her Savior, and Martha's worried about whether or not she's going to burn the toast, and Mary should get in there to help her. Remember that? She didn't do a bad thing. It's just that Mary chose the better thing. This is still a woman of faith, and you see this in her words. Exemplary as they are, Martha says, I know that he will rise again on the last day. And really, that's all you need. That's all you need. When you stare into the grave that has your name on it, that is all you need. That Martha-like faith, to know that based on everything that you just heard from Romans 8 and everything that Pastor Zell just shared and everything that you see in Jesus here and everything that you know from Sunday school on, or even if this is new to you as an adult, your Savior will raise your body and make you live through death. Physical death is hardly a glimpse compared to what you will experience forever with your Savior who has power over it. He will raise you again on the last day. And that's all that you need. And that's all that you need. And what does Jesus say in response to that? He doesn't just point you to that future reality that will be yours someday. He points you to the very one who gives you that reality every day until that day. What are the next words out of his mouth? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. That's all you need. When you're not only staring at the grave that has your name on it, but you're staring at the grave of a loved one until you reach your own grave, and you're wondering how it is that you can sit there and smile and cry at the same time as the world looks at you as though you're a fool, as they look at me the same. You can smile and cry at the same sight that should only be sad because the world has no answer to what you and I have an answer to. And that is our Savior is the resurrection and the life. There is no other life found anywhere else. There is no way of cheating death. There's no other answer in all the world, especially in societal norms and in cultural currents that would just rather not talk about this whole awkward death thing. You and I, just like our Savior, can meet it head on. Unafraid to walk right up to the grave of his friend, you and I can stare even at our own tomb and the tombs of loved ones and say, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. 
Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That is the personal benefit that you receive just as Martha received. That is exactly what the power of Jesus' words mean in your life every single day until your final earthly day and your first eternal day. But that power is not just meant to be found in words because just in case people were going to miss that, Jesus had something very personal and powerful to prove. He does what Jesus does, first of all, proving that he is fully human. He is once again deeply moved. The the verse right before that, Jesus wept. He doesn't like death like the rest of us don't like death. Crying over the, the thought, the mere thought of approaching his friend's tomb, Jesus cries, fully human, just as you and I do. He can't stand this, this robber that is death. But he's also not afraid to walk right up to it. This is the kind of savior we have, right? He's not afraid of the mess, the grime, the stench, and the stink. I mean, look at the type of people that he deals with, sinners like you and me, and yet he draws near every single day by his gracious and powerful word. So he's been dead for four days. Open it up. Jesus doesn't care. The same Jesus who will approach lepers when no one else will. The same Jesus who goes to Jairus' upstairs room to raise that little girl saying, Talitha kum. This is the same Jesus who will walk up to any dead person, even that widow of Nain's son, and touch the dead, making him unclean. He does not care because he raises the dead. Open it up. And then what does he say? He calls him by name. One commentator said, it's a good thing that Jesus called Lazarus by name. Otherwise, all the dead with an earshot would have come out of the tomb and they would have had quite a mess on their hands. That's fascinating and also fascinatingly true. After all, the one who holds the power over death says what he wants. And even those who are dead can't help but listen as if we would want to do anything else anyways. This is the Savior who calls his friend by name. And he doesn't just call Lazarus by name because he's his friend. And he doesn't just call Lazarus by name because he's the son of God and he knows everybody's name. He calls Lazarus by name for this reason in addition. Because he knows all of his children by name. That's why we get to call our father, father. There's going to be a day when he's going to say over the grave, Paul Zell, come out. He's going to say, Jacob, Ungamak, come out. And that's going to happen. He's going to say, more recently, Dorothy Jasper, come out. Barbara Trexler, come out. Joanne Van Eyce, come out. And they're going to come out. I mean, this is the same God who can't do anything but call us by name so that we would be a part of his family. The same God who connects his gracious name, his powerful name and promise to his new little daughters is going to say the same thing to them. Lena, come out. Ellie, come out. And they're going to come out of that tomb unless Jesus comes first. This is the same Savior who not only knows every hair on your head and wrinkle of every fingerprint, but he knows your name. And in the waters of your baptism, he connected you by name to himself, his name, so that you would only always and forever know of one reality, and that is life. Physical death cannot even touch it. It is but a glimpse compared to what your Savior gives to you. So today, until that final day when you actually do see even through closed eyes, that grave that has your name on it, 
your Savior who knows you by name and called you by name and connected you through the waters of baptism to his triune name will continue to keep you and preserve you and strengthen you as he reminds you of your baptism, as he feeds you with the things that actually were given so that you would have life, his body and blood, as he nourishes you with his word so that you would always and forever know that you belong to your Savior who knows you by name and one day will call you by that name too. And you'll walk out and enjoy eternity. That's not just a comfort for that day to be determined. That's a comfort every single day of your life in between. Amen.